0: Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Mark Doffman, and I'm a researcher in the Faculty of Music, uh, currently working on a project on musical creativity in contemporary art music. But I'm not really going to be talking about that. Um, about another project, which I hope is of interest. And I've um, called this little spiel Academics Nil Musicians 1 at Half Time. And the subtitle is How Do We Convince the Wider Public and musicians themselves that uh, what we do in academic work is valuable. And I'm just getting my glasses out. (laughs) Because I'm good at point 14, but by the time it gets to point 11, I'm at that. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just a a couple of points to make, really. Um, You know, first, a general point. Although music's a a central part of our life, there's a very interesting resistance that I perceive as an academic on the part of um, musical publics and musicians themselves, perhaps, in particular, about the relationship between discourse and music. And I think, in part, this goes back to a sort of 19th century view of music as an autonomous, self-sufficient object, you know, Edward Hanslick, notably, that's, that's very persistent. At the same time, obviously, music is a central part of our social world. So th- th- there's this interesting collision between the idea of music being quite separate, something we can't talk about, it's beyond words, it's about our feelings, and something that clearly uh, is part of our everyday experience of the world, and about which a lot gets written. Talked. So if if there's one general point about how we communicate, how do we convince people of the value of academic uh, work, it's this idea that talk and music are not as separable as the sort of romantic fallacy about music might might, uh, allow us to think. Um, That's a, a general point. But more specifically, I wanted to give you an example from a project I was involved in at the Open University before I came to Oxford, uh, which came up with all sorts of interesting um, issues and problems about the relationship between academia and the wider public, uh, or the wider public sphere of music. And this was a project called What is Black British Jazz?, and it was a project in part about understanding race and music, um, ab- about how British cultural life is expressed through music of the Black diaspora, um, what's the nature of musical identity, and in part also a musical history of um, Black migration to the UK. So th- th- there, are, there are a number of things that we were that we were looking at, and. What was interesting for us as the researchers was the mix of approval and opprobrium that we received from different parts of the public sphere. In part, we, uh, the black community, um, black musical community, seemed, although not everyone was perhaps fully supportive of the project for different reasons. Firstly, we were a bunch of white academics. But largely, I would say there was a, a really strong sense of support from um, black musicians in the UK and a sense that here was a project that was talking about their contribution to jazz, which I, I think many people would agree has been to some degree marginalised in you know, British media, British public life. On the other hand, there was a fair degree of antipathy towards the pro- project. and I'm just going to read you a, an article very quickly from the Daily Telegraph, which came out a year into the project, and is as follows. The Arts and Humanities Research Council has awarded £495,643 to a two-and-a-half-year open university project examining the roots of black jazz in the UK and its impact on British culture. Critics point out the award, which pays for a five-strong research team, uh, comes at a time when the country faces severe public funding cuts and a number of quangos are being axed in an attempt to slim down bureaucracy. The scale of the funding grant has even led to criticism within the jazz world. As well as books and research papers, the programme aims to produce a documentary film, along with a series of radio broadcasts, podcasts and concerts, in a bid to reach a non-academic audience impact digital humanities. But the decision to award such a large sum of money to the project has angered many in the more traditional Mm. wing of the British jazz community. And then the article cites a number of people. I'll just read bits from this huge (laughs) number of people who had things to say. This is Jim Simpson who organises the Birmingham Jazz Festival. It's very hard to split black British jazz off from other traditions in British jazz, as this project seeks to do. From the very beginning, British jazz has been a mixed thing. It's one of the few areas of British life where there has never been a problem with race. And I fear that all this project will do is divide and polarize people." Uh, And then this same man goes on to argue that this money should be better spent on the music scene. And his view is backed by a musician, not just a jazz promoter, but a musician, quite a famous musician called Digby Fairweather, who said, I'm afraid this project will be confined to an academic backwater and won't do anything to widen the appeal of jazz. It would be far more useful if this kind of money was spent funding a national jazz radio station or the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, which is a wonderful university for young musicians. Alternatively, it could be spent on teaching jazz in schools and colleges. And finally, they wheel in um, the right-wing public policy think tank, uh, (laughs) Politeia, director of that. There are more urgent priorities for the public purse. Besides, there's a good principle that all public funds should be dispensed on a colorblind basis. Now, I think that's a very interesting comment, but not time to go into that. Indeed, that's now recognized to be in the interests of the communities themselves. So in answer to my question, how do we convince the public of the value of our academic work on music, I think um, if there is an answer to this, it's in part we do, and in part we shouldn't try to. Um, for various reasons. I think the first thing is um, as we learn to our cost, um, reporting communicating what you're about to do, about the nature of a project connecting with the wider world, you have to be very clear what you say in press releases and telling people what you're about and the headline figure of half a million pounds for the project, (coughs) although actually in academic terms this is quite a modest sum And we weren't jetting off all over the world to do work. It was wisely spent, I feel. Nevertheless, this was just a red rag to a bull to the media, Daily Telegraph, and also jazz musicians who, you know, understandably, and I work in the jazz area as a performer myself, understandably feel rather marginalised already because gigs are hard to find and they're badly funded. And here's a bunch of academics getting half a million quid. To study an area of British jazz and that's the work contributed by black people. Um, So I think there was a way in which um, we could have been slightly more careful about impact in that sense. But I would argue that apart from that sort of quite pragmatic view of presenting your work and being careful about how it comes over, I think we have to distinguish that from A much more positive negative impact if you like and I think this is the central part of academic work and that is to challenge and provoke um, people to rail against what you're talking about and that's a very important part of was a very important part of this project I mean we didn't set out deliberately to provoke uh, some of the community of white musicians but it's an important aspect of the project that we didn't kowtow often to a highly instrumental view of what um, music should be about, or more importantly, that everyone is happy in the jazz world, so something like that. Um, we were making a critical assessment of the part that black m- British musicians have played to jazz in the UK. And um, you know the negative reaction on the part of some white players could be seen as an incredibly valuable part of, b- the the study at its sort of largest boundary um, this relationship between what people feel should be talked about and what we felt we should talk about I mean, uh, am I okay for time? Uh, Okay, so I mean just to summarize I think uh, uh, that project taught me an awful lot about uh, A, getting the, I mean I hate to use the term PR, but you know what I mean, sort of making sure that you're hitting the right headlines and not um, uh, getting your project tracked down a side uh, street about how much money you're getting. That was an important lesson for us. But more importantly, it made me realise that impact is about provocation as well as just getting loads of people to to sign on to what you're doing and say it's wonderful, uh, which uh, we quickly discovered wasn't the case. (laughs) I think I'm finished, thank you.